0: Brief disclaimer this week, there's a brief mention and slight depiction of sexual assault. Also, some possibly stronger-than-usual violence. Please check out the post on MythPodcast.com for more information. This week on Myths and Legends, it's all about Queen Guinevere. Well, Guinevere's. And we'll learn that if an evil doppelganger has tried to steal your life, you should probably just forget about them for 15 years and go about your business. Because everything will be fine. The creature this week is a tiny monster who wants to interrupt your public displays of affection with instant death. This is Myths and Legends, episode 243A, Doppelgänger. This is a podcast where we tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you might think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories that might be new to you, but are definitely worth a listen. This week, we're diving back into the story of King Arthur. We did sort of a soft reboot not too long ago, and while this episode follows after that, you don't necessarily need to have heard it. If you want to fill in the backstory, though, check out 233 A through C. This week and next is all about Guinevere, an important character, but one who hasn't been the focus of an episode yet. Basically, we'll track her from her earliest mention in the legends all the way through to the first great trial of her life. If you don't know, Guinevere was a princess in the early Middle Ages who became queen when she married King Arthur, a legendary king. And despite her being married to the king, Lancelot, the greatest knight in Arthur's realm, a young man about 13 years her junior, has fallen in love with her. We'll check in, not in the middle of the medieval love triangle, but at the very beginning, when Guinevere saw Arthur for the first time. (music) Guinevere had never seen a god before, but she had seen Arthur, and that was enough. She was a girl, heck, he was still a boy, He might be nearly five years older than her, but he didn't look it. He looked perfect. She had heard about him, of course. The boy king, the noble spat. The illegitimate king, among other colorful words. She heard about him, but only in news and rumors of battles. Storming at the head of an army, fighting the rebel barons. Everyone to whom he spoke, joined him. He had a wizard advisor, he shined with destiny with the dawning of a new age for their island. Now, he was here. Guinevere's father, Leo Dagen, was one of the kings who declared their allegiance to Arthur early on. It wasn't out of principle or courage. Guinevere was young, but she knew her father wasn't a principled or courageous king. Not principled, because she had heard him in the night cursing the names of the surrounding kings who had declared for Arthur, before forcing a smile the following morning, and declaring for the boy king himself not courageous because he had fainted in a puddle of his own urine when the last of his guard had rushed in, bleeding from the many arrows in his back, informing his king that the city had fallen. Then, the Saxons that rushed in after him cut the man down mid-sentence, looked on the king, and eyed his daughter. Guinevere didn't wait. She reached over and drew the dagger from her father's side. The Saxon man laughed. What, was she going to do her sewing with that? They said it was four versus one, with an entire garrison outside. Guinevere understood the implication. That's why she lowered the knife to her own stomach. The Saxons only laughed, like they cared if... Then, from outside the throne room, a whistle cut through the air. The men straightened up. The leader turned to the others. What was that? Then, sounds of death. A pair of men fighting careened through the heavy doors of the throne room, rolling over each other. Outside, the sandstorm that had kicked up, yes, the sandstorm in Britain in springtime, made anything further away than ten feet, a mystery. The Saxon screamed and, while his enemy was scrambling to recover, stabbed the man in the heart. The leader, who had only moments ago been threatening Guinevere, swung his club, catching his own man, the Saxon, in the chest, revealing that the enemy, the man he had been fighting, was also a Saxon. This was the wizard's doing, he said. Looking out, hearing his warriors fighting what was likely their own men in the chaos of the storm, he pointed to King Leo Dagen. Get him, he said, and an underling wrenched Leo Dagen up by his collar. What about her? Another asked. Gesturing to Guinevere, she was now pointing the dagger at them. The Saxon shook his head, raised his shield, and made for the back door. Not worth it. Guinevere glared at them until they were gone, and then she sat back, exploding into tears. Her hands trembled as she dropped the dagger just when she saw him. 18 or 19, with sandy brown hair, Arthur whipped off his helmet and lowered his sword, the very same one he had drawn from the stone. He reached his hand out to Guinevere, who still huddled by the side of the throne. He filled her vision. He was magnificent. On that day, Guinevere met the man that she knew she would love Forever, They rescued Leo Dagen, of course, and the old king was happy he had declared for Arthur. A few months later, Guinevere officially met the man who had become her husband, when her father had her serve the king herself. It wasn't hurt by the fact that Arthur was winning the war. By sheer luck, or wizards the Saxons had landed in the kingdoms of the rebels. They were now fighting a war on two fronts, and the choice between a boy king who promised clemency and invaders from the continent who wanted to strip their kingdom for parts, according to the story, wasn't much of a choice. Most of the barons declared for Arthur, and the kid was now the only moderately disputed king of the Britons. Leodagon, of course, used all of this to maneuver himself into the best of all possible positions. He barely needed to do anything, Guinevere remembered the man who routed the enemies in their time of need, and Arthur was captivated by her at that dinner. The two started writing letters to one another, and Arthur started reportedly losing some battles because he was daydreaming of Guinevere, and everyone was happy. Well, everyone but Guinevere. Not our Guinevere, of course. For now, our Guinevere, the princess, was over the moon. It was her wedding day, after all. Arthur was victorious in all of his wars. The barons had been pacified, the Saxons routed. For the first time since old King Constantine, Arthur's grandfather, the island was at peace. And by the way, at this point, we're still like 15 years out from our current narrative. Anyway, on the day of her wedding, Guinevere was confused by a message. She was to meet someone in the garden. They had a secret about her future husband that she should know. Guinevere walked by the great room. In the months leading up to the wedding, Arthur had to decide on a formal seat of power. He settled on a fortress, surrounded by a walled town that overlooked the sea. It was called Camelot. Guinevere's father had gifted it to the new king. Along with a curious new table, Arthur said with a cough as they dusted off the table. Yeah, it's a round table, Leo Dagen said with a grin. Now, yeah, I, I get what you're saying. It's round, and it's a table. It's the symbolism," Leodagin said. "Everyone who sits at this table is an equal. It's to represent your new order of knights. But like, I'm the king." I actually outrank everyone. I don't get the appeal," Arthur said. But Leodagin said it's about the optics. This will be like his war room. and it's showing that he values expertise and the advice of his own knights even over his own authority. It's good PR. Trust me, they're gonna love this. Then Leodagan felt the tapping on his shoulder. He bowed to his king and turned. What? Leodagan barked to Guinevere, who smiled to Arthur. Guinevere said that she received a strange message this morning and... Okay, you're gonna be queen. Deal with it on your own. I'm trying to explain a round table, Leodagan said to Guinevere. Arthur snapped his fingers and a page rushed up to him the young man told the younger man to find Merlin. If his betrothed thought that something was strange, well, Merlin was their resident expert in strange. By the time the page realized that neither he nor anyone he spoke to could find Merlin, Arthur was in the middle of knighting this year's group of knights, namely, Gawain. Guinevere put the message out of her mind and went to go get ready for her wedding. They were alone. Finally. It had been a magnificent day. They were now husband and wife. She was queen. And tonight, they would get to be together. And for every day after that, they would be king and queen, side by side, forever. They kissed in the royal bedroom. And Arthur stopped. Hey! Sorry, he knew this was not the most romantic thing, but oh, this was so awkward. He had a lot of wine tonight and really had to go to the, uh, privy. He said he would be back in a second. She should make herself comfortable. Guinevere smiled sheepishly as Arthur made his way down the hall. She moved to take a seat, but she would not get that chance. You should have come to the garden earlier, she heard, before two rough hands gagged her and yanked her into the darkness. When her blindfold was removed, Guinevere looked around. Iron bars, dripping rocks, the sharp stench of mildew. She was in the dungeon, the hooded figure in front of her, about her height and build, only watched, as Guinevere took a spear butt to the back and went down, the soldier that had done so wrenching her to her feet and looping the cord around her wrists. The other looked to the hooded figure. What did they want to do with the queen? Kill her? She's the queen. That will be Regicide, the voice said, from underneath the shroud. Guinevere gasped, what? That voice, it sounded like... The figure lifted her hands, revealing her face. One that looked exactly like Guinevere's. Guinevere stood awestruck, what? Who was she? I can answer that, she heard from the guard on her left. Both women, and the other soldier, turned to the speaker... The other soldier told him to know his place before the lady, but the soldier lifted a finger and put it to the other's lips. He said, and the man caught fire like he was made out of paper, turning to ash, floating away and hissing on the wet stones of the dungeon. The woman that had captured Guinevere made to run, but the man pointed to her and she froze mid-turn. The man touched Guinevere's bindings and they dropped to the ground. Guinevere stood stunned, looking at a pile of dust where a man had stood. She looked back to the stranger, who was now altogether changed. He wasn't the youthful recruit in the stolen armor of one of Arthur's guards. He was a middle-aged man in a deep blue and purple robe. Merlin, Guinevere muttered. The man nodded with a smile. Guinevere looked to the stranger. Was this his doing? This imposter? Was this his magic? Merlin shook his head. No, there was no magic here. Only a wronged and power-hungry young woman. Guinevere asked, No magic, but she looked just like her. She was a doppelganger. Merlin turned to Guinevere. No, not a doppelganger. Sister, you have a twin sister. Your fi- oh, wait, no, sorry. Not twin. Half-sister. She's your half-sister. She was born at the exact same time as you and looks exactly like you, though, so it can get a little confusing. Guinevere said, half-sister, but that would mean her father. Merlin nodded. Uh, yeah. Sorry to shatter your whole view of the world two hours after your wedding. Welcome to adulthood. Guinevere looked to the ground. What was this, though? She needed the whole story. Really? You want a cinematic recap of your dad's worst sin mere minutes before your wedding night? Not my taste, but sure, I guess. Guinevere said that she wanted the whole story, but not a cinematic recap. That sounded disgusting. She was cut off when Merlin touched her temple. Her eyes went dark, and she stood there in a trance. She saw everything. She saw her father, younger, reading an order to a seneschal, the noble in charge of his household, saw the seneschal leaving on a journey for his king. Then, she saw her father, one hand on a door, sneering, while the seneschal's wife looked on her king with unease. The door closed. Then, two women pregnant. The seneschal's wife and Guinevere's mother, a stormy night. Two girls born. One had the birthmark of a crown and was born in the royal bedroom, the other born in exile. The mother went away and was sent away. The girl stayed with her father. In this woman's childhood, Guinevere saw one that mimicked her own, but from the other side. While Guinevere the princess was served, the other Guinevere was a servant. While the princess had every opportunity because of her birth, the other had none because of who she reminded the royal family of. The princess Guinevere's birth had brought her family together. The birth of the other had torn hers apart. So she came to steal your life, but I stopped her. You're welcome, Merlin said taking his finger away from Guinevere's temple, the new queen broke down into sobs. Oh, hey, wow. Sorry. Yeah, that's probably a lot. Knowing that your dad is a sleazy rapist. I know this is probably not super helpful, but so was Arthur's. So was mine, actually. He was also a demon, so I had that to deal with too. Not about me, sorry. Merlin explained. And then watched, perplexed, As Guinevere turned to the other Guinevere, her double, and hugged the woman, who was still frozen in place, she said she was sorry. She was so sorry. As Guinevere wiped her eyes, she turned to the wizard. Please don't hurt her. She's been through enough. Merlin directed Guinevere toward the way out, handing her one of the lanterns. It was a bit of a trek back up. These parts of the dungeon were on the verge of collapse, and probably wouldn't ever be used. Guinevere thanked Merlin for his help and made her way back up to Arthur. Merlin waited until he couldn't hear footsteps, sat down, and waited about ten more minutes with the other Guinevere. That should be enough. He rose and walked out of the cell. She asked me not to hurt you, and I won't. I won't do a thing, Merlin said. He paused at the door. Oh, what was he thinking? He better lock up. Can't have just anyone wandering through here it might be dangerous. He locked the door to the dungeon, leaving the other Guinevere, eyes wide, still frozen in the darkness, with the roaches and the rats. Oh, one more thing, Merlin called back from the stairway. When you do unfreeze, try not to be too loud. Or You know what? Doesn't really matter. No one will be able to hear you anyway. We're going to take about a 15 year time jump, but that will be right after this. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach, with your people, and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at microsoft.com slash AI for all. Fifteen years later, Arthur saw Guinevere smile for the first time in weeks. A message had come in from Lancelot and Galahad. Arthur supposed that he should be grateful that the trio was such good friends Galahad was a knight, because of Guinevere and Lancelot, instead of a half-giant that would have absolutely taken over his lands less than a year prior. In fact, with Arthur's knights spread out all over the place, when Galahad came riding into town at the head of an army, demanding Arthur's throne, Arthur didn't have any other choice but to send his champion, Lancelot, out against the man. What happened next was as confusing as it was fortuitous, at least for everyone watching. Galahad saw Lancelot's face, after he unhorsed the young man, winning the kingdom, and Galahad yielded. The knight that towered over the rest, bowed before the queen, who had run to Lancelot's aid at the trial, and the three had been inseparable since. Except, you know, when they separated, when Lancelot and Galahad went to Brittany, to fight to take back Lancelot's ancestral kingdom. Now, there was a prophecy about some, I don't know, cup or something, They had sent a messenger asking for wise men. And Arthur, though he didn't quite understand why the kid and the giant palling around with his wife rubbed him the wrong way, he had to admit that he was happy they hadn't come in person. Oh, sorry, dear. Looks like your friends aren't coming home, Arthur said to his wife, who pursed her lips and smiled. I guess they'll be out there keeping your realm safe, Guinevere replied. They're knights. That's literally their job, Arthur said. And then waved. All right. Who was next? There was a woman with a flowing dress. A knight walked behind her. He had a gray beard down to his chest, a scarred face, and an absolutely just jacked arms and chest. He looked as weathered as an old tree and about as tough as one too. He walked at the head of 10 knights who refused to take off their armor before walking into the throne room. At their head was a veiled woman. Arthur looked her up and down then smiled himself. When she stood before the king, she took off her veil and flung it to the ground. The men in attendance took one look at her face and almost threw themselves at the veil, wanting to do their courtly duty and pick it up for the woman. They stopped, though, when they saw the hand that clasped it. King Arthur raised it to the woman's face. She dropped this, and he had to say she was the most beautiful, nope, the second most beautiful woman in the world. Still all smiles, Arthur had to know what she wanted to ask of him. He would offer her anything right off the bat, but king-wise, that's a rookie mistake. Always wait to hear the request. Her request was simple. Read a letter. Arthur said, a letter? Sure. Yeah. He opened it. The woman put her hand on Arthur's. He made it clear he didn't mind, but he was granting her request. She said no. The request was that he read it out loud. Arthur handed it off to one of his courtiers and sat back to listen. It told a story, a story about a bride disappearing for an hour on her wedding night, and never returning, of a trip down to the dungeons, and another taking her place, about how Arthur's true wife, the real Guinevere, had cried for days. But upon realizing that she had been forgotten, escaped, she discovered that she had been replaced by an imposter, and left Camelot. She could have married again. She could have lived a life, but she didn't want just any life. She wanted the one that was stolen from her, with the man that she loved. She found her way, though. She had the beauty and grace of a queen, and that attracted the right people. This knight here was her champion. His men, hers. She now formally accused this imposter, and she demanded justice. You dare accuse your queen of such a crime? Guinevere cried. Oh, is she here? The messenger said, looking around with a smile. Okay, this is complicated, Arthur said, holding up his hands for silence. Complicated. I have been your wife for 15 years. Guinevere sat back. So it shouldn't be too hard to defend yourself against these probably baseless charges. I'm the king and this is a formal request. You know I have to accept her case, Arthur shrugged probably baseless. Guinevere couldn't believe what she was hearing. Arthur groaned, look, she was his wife. She was the queen. It was a ridiculous assertion, but not without some grounding in fact. She did disappear for an hour on their wedding night. A gasp went up from some of the barons in the back. Guine immediately stepped in, whispering for the king and the queen that they should probably take this discussion offline. Things were getting private in here. Guinevere, though, stood and stormed from the hall. Arthur shook his head and turned back to the beautiful stranger with a smile. He was sorry she had to see that. Yes, at Christmas, he would be at Carlisle. He would hear the case and render a judgment. And to show that he was partial to no one and nothing but justice, no matter who won, the loser of the case would be executed. (laughs) I honestly can't see how this is anything but good for you. Galahad folded up the letter and handed it back to Lancelot. Worst case scenario, things continue as they are. But if she loses, she's divorced from the king. You can marry her. She's executed, Lancelot corrected. But Galahad only laughed. Nothing the two of them and about a dozen knights showing up to... Persuade Arthur couldn't change. Lancelot said that that's... Treason? He's not even your king. You're from here, Galahad said, gesturing to the lands outside of the tent. To Brittany, you're telling me you wouldn't choose her in a second over Arthur over the round table? Lancelot smiled awkwardly. Okay. He told Galahad those things in confidence. He was not being discreet. If word made it back, Galahad said if word made it back, it would be the word of what? A squire? A page versus that of the king's champion? Even if he knew you were in love with his wife, he wouldn't be able to do anything. You control the Dolorous Guard. Joyous Guard, Lancelot said. He was calling it that, after he hunted down Brandon of the Isles and lifted the curse. Yeah, let's put that particular rebranding in the maybe pile, Galahad said. Anyway, Lancelot was a king, the leader of a band of knights. He could match any of Arthur's in a fight he was kind of too big to fail here. Lancelot said that he might be safe for now, but Guinevere wasn't. They should finish up their business here and head back to Britain. They had to get to Carlisle in time for Christmas. We'll see Guinevere's case go from bad to worse, but that... We'll be right after this. Going sat back and ran his fingers through his hair. Whew, yeah, this was... troubling. Guinevere had come clean to the one knight in attendance that day, who had jumped up and pledged to defend her honor with his life. Look, it's all circumstantial, but the circumstances don't look good the knight said. The other Guinevere was staying just out of town, sending an envoy. She, apparently, had witnesses. There were people, a few days after the wedding of Arthur and Guinevere, who saw a woman, who looked exactly like the queen climb from the muck of the sewers and run from the city. They didn't think anything of it. It was the early Middle Ages. People ran around covered in filth all the time. They didn't see anything weird until the salacious rumors that the king was married to an exact double of Guinevere spread across the land. They did the right thing and came forward. That their families then received generous payments from some unknown benefactor was inconsequential. Guinevere came clean about her abduction, about Merlin, about last seeing the other Guinevere in the dungeons. Gawain told her it didn't look good. Six months ago, this was pure ridiculousness a woman stepping forward claiming to be the queen, (sighs) but this evidence, combined with Guinevere's account, uh, it was a toss-up now, it would come down to Arthur's ruling, Guinevere said that there was one person who could clear her, the person who saw it all, one Arthur trusted with his life, Merlin, Gawain looked to the ground, and shook his head, yeah, good luck on that one, that guy had been gone for most of his tenure here, he had been away for over two years now. No one knew if he was ever coming back. Gawain said he definitely wouldn't stake his own life, on Merlin appearing before her trial. Gawain didn't know him super well, but the only person Merlin ever seemed to care about was Arthur. Guinevere was troubled. What would have been preposterous months ago, a woman claiming to be the rightful queen actually having a shot at dethroning her, was now a startling possibility, and this was before anyone saw her when they realized she looked exactly like Guinevere, the queen's fate would be sealed. Now, I've not been in this situation, but I can imagine that one person holding their spouse's life in their hands might, I don't know, strain a marriage? Like, if your spouse was presiding over a case that could literally mean your death and was also being cryptic about how they were going to rule, probably an issue to take to a therapist. Things somehow got more chilly when two visitors arrived at court. Galahot, and Lancelot. I'm going to be honest with you, Guinevere said over the 6th century equivalent of tea with her only two friends. After the shock wore off, you know, when I went through her well-cut cinematic backstory, I thought the old wizard would ignore me. I thought Merlin might have killed her. Okay, I wouldn't leave with that at your trial, Galahot said, sitting back. Sorry, your honor, slash my husband. I totally thought the accuser was dead and wouldn't be a problem for me anymore. Galahad said, then pointed a thumb over his shoulder. You know, he and Lancelot passed her tents on the way in. If she wasn't royalty, she had someone backing her, because while she might have started life as a serving girl, she wasn't one anymore. Guinevere sat back, the pit of her stomach churning. Somehow it had gotten this far. Her trial was tomorrow. She was going to die. Galahad smiled a sly smile. What if he was just kind of spitballing here? What if the other Guinevere didn't show up at her trial? Guinevere asked what the knight meant by that. Galahad said it was just a question, but what if Galahad infiltrated their camp in the dead of night and just took the other Guinevere on a fabulous vacation? What if she liked it so much she forgot all about this ludicrous trial and her false accusations and just never returned? Guinevere said that if he was saying what she thought he was saying, Galahad held up his hands he was not responsible for Guinevere's, He looked around the room to Lancelot, the various servants, the ladies-in-waiting. He wasn't responsible for anyone's interpretation of anything he said. He merely said he'd take her on a wonderful trip, from which she might not return, because she's having so much fun. Guinevere sighed. Guinevere, Guinevere, Galahad whispered. Guinevere, I'm winking. Guinevere, I winked when I said trip. Guinevere said, don't. Thank you for offering to take her accuser off on a wonderful trip, that she loved so much that she wouldn't ever want to return from. But no, this trial was about more than her. It had to go on. Galahad said that that's cool. Say the word though, and she will be gone. On vacation. It will be like she died and went to heaven. Wink. No, yeah, I, I got it. Guinevere nodded. Sir Lancelot, Sir Galahad, King Arthur said, rapping on the door with his fist. He pointed down the hall we ride. He turned to Guinevere with a cold nod. Guinevere, he will be back the day after tomorrow. The day after tomorrow, Guinevere asked. But her trial was tomorrow. Arthur said, not anymore. It was in three days now. The accuser sent a message asking him to delay it a day, which was no problem. He was the king. He could do whatever he wanted. So that meant, of course, hunting trip with the boys get dressed. He heard from the other camp, the accusers, he had been hanging out over there, that there was a massive mythology-class boar roaming the northern forests, and he was gonna Heracles it up, kill the boar. Galahot and Lancelot said that they just came in from a long overland journey from the continent, but Arthur wagged his finger. Nope, nope, this was a boy's trip. Not everyone would be going on this either. Just him, them, Gawain, Yvang, Kay, Pellinore, half a dozen more knights, everyone's squires and servants, cooks, people to set up the tents, their servants, and people to take care of the horses. Small, intimate group. The two knights nodded. Sure, as their king wished. They turned to Guinevere with a shrug. They should start getting ready. Did she need anything? She shook her head, just to prepare. Arthur nodded, yeah, he really hoped the preparations for her case went well. He threw his arm around Guinevere's only friends in the world. As for them, it was boys' night. Arthur squirted the wine into his open mouth from his wineskin. He tossed the empty skin to a servant and pointed to his bros. All right, new plan. Everyone takes their own servants and sets off into the forest separately. Whoever bags the boar is the best hunter and wins, like, I don't know, a feast. Let's say a feast. Lancelot said that as much as he wanted to let Arthur have his space, he didn't think it was wise for Arthur to go riding off into the forest by himself. That's what the knights were for, to protect him. Arthur clumsily slapped Lancelot on his armor. Protection. He was protecting this land before baby Lancelot here was... A baby. He chuckled to himself, showed him. Besides, this was Britain, his home. He drove off the Saxons, he quelled the rebellion, except for an occasional group of evil knights and giants and ogres and a strange cabal of sorceresses that were alternatively helpful or antagonistic to him, depending on what day of the week it was, he was completely safe. Arthur took another drink from his wineskin. Well, Literally every knight there tried to tell him this was a terrible idea in the roundabout way you have to explain that to an absolute monarch. But when he was finished, he hooked the wineskin to his horse. He told them all that they would make too much noise traveling in a group. He was the king, his word was final. He nodded at his knights, may the best man win. He pointed at the two guys that would follow. People whose name I don't know, we ride, Arthur said, spurring his horse onward into the forest. We're following him, right? Lancelot asked Gawain. Gawain told them to give him a minute, but then, yeah, absolutely. Servants, you're quiet or we'll execute your king. The servants heard from the man who grabbed the reins of the king's horse. The old knight raised his dagger until the tip tickled the king's stomach. You'll be quiet, he said to Arthur, or I'll execute you. Two more men stepped from the trees and grabbed the reins of the servants' horses. They could stay on their horses. Those weren't the horses of the king. They wouldn't have everyone in the kingdom looking for them tomorrow. Might not be tomorrow, boss. Knights incoming. He was followed. We have to move. The kidnapper heard. He yanked Arthur, hands up and palms forward from his horse. Gawain and Yvain were the first ones in the clearing. There wasn't much left for them. Arthur had been bound and thrown over the back of one of the horses, and the two servants' horses had been ponied. All that remained in the clearing was Arthur's horse, on its side, bleeding out. The story says that the kidnapper drove his dagger up through the horse's throat. Gawain hastened the animal's death, while Yvain investigated the tracks, three trails going off in separate directions. Even if they picked the right one, the kidnapper might double back, go through a stream, or get to a hideout. The woods were dark and deep. That didn't stop them from picking two of the trails and following them, but one terminated at a stream and the other a road. By the time they made it back to the clearing, it was dark and there was one inescapable conclusion. The king had been kidnapped. We won't see Arthur again for three more months, but he'll return a changed man. We'll pick it up next week. If you'd like to support the show, there's still a membership thing on the site. For less than the price of a Darth Vader toaster, a toaster in the style of Darth Vader's life support armor that toasts Darth Vader's image onto every piece of bread, you can get extra episodes and ad-free versions of this show that won't give you the same extremely specific burned breakfast every morning. Check out support.mythpodcast.com for more info on the membership. The creature this week is the ciguapa from Haitian and Dominican folklore. The ciguapa in Haiti are a type of tiny people, like action figure doll sized, and they're looking for love. Sorry, I should be clear. They're looking for people who are in love to murder, The creatures can be male or female. And if a female saguapa chances on a couple saying, quote, loving words to one another, males die. And if a male saguapa finds the couple, females die. It's just instant death upon seeing the creature, though. So as far as angering a jealous creature of the week goes, it's not a terrible way to go. That's the one from Haiti. The Dominican ones are all female with a, quote, mane of hair down to her ankles. Though her victims are traditionally men, she'll lure anyone into the forest, seduce them, and then, yes, kill them. Not sure if she is also very tiny, which brings up more questions, but... Moving on, you can avoid being eaten by an attractive monster in the forest, by not following the attractive monster into the forest. If you're wondering which attractive monsters are okay to follow, well, first, you're kind of already asking the wrong question, but the siguapa's feet are facing the wrong way, which apparently makes her impossible to track unless you follow the trail backwards, which is not so much impossible as one extra step you have to do. If, for some reason, you want to meet the Dominican Zaguapa, stand by the ocean and call out her name, and you'll be pretty much instantly pulled out to sea and drowned, because that's what she does. If you'd like to try to catch her, you have to track her at night, during a full moon, with a black and white polydactylic dog, so a dog with an extra toe on its paw, Just be careful not to look at her in the eye or you'll be bewitched permanently. Or here's a fun idea. Don't track a murderous woman in the dark forest at night and put both your life and the life of an innocent five-toed puppy at risk. That's it for this week. Myths and Legends is by Jason and Carissa Weiser. Our theme song is by Broke for Free and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. There are links to even more music in the show notes.